This morning, I'm going to continue in our our series that we started the year with, Vocabulary for Our Times. And as I've said before, I'm working off the premise that if you're going to participate or understand stories, you have to understand the words that are going to be used in those stories, right? So a lot of times when when you were younger and you started uh, a new literature chapter, uh, you'd get a little block of four or five new vocabulary words. And you had to know those to get the story. If you didn't know that word every time you encountered it, you just kind of couldn't follow along. And I, I think that's true for us with the Lord as well. I'm picking these words. There, there is a long list of words that could make it an appearance in this list. But I'm particularly picking ones that have become neglected, misplaced, or misunderstood, particularly in our day. So I, I want to draw our attention to words that have lost their vitality among us. Or they just have fallen out of practice. And with the intention being that you and I would not just pick these words up in January and leave them in January and then proceed into February and March like we always do. But that you would take these words with you. I very much believe the Lord is letting us know that if you want to live in all that God has for each of us and for us as a church, you're going to have to see these words in a bigger way. Right, so we started with the word of presenting yourself to God because we are a culture that doesn't have time for a lot of things. We're just not available. That can't be the story of our lives in the coming year. So a few weeks into January, how, you know, how are we doing in that? Am I presenting myself to God? Is, is the other word that was in that, that first week, don't be conformed? Does the word don't operate in your life any differently than it ever did that you look at your life and you give the spirit of god that vocabulary word to look in your life and let him say don't no don't don't anymore not for this season don't do that because you never should have been doing that does the does the holy spirit get to use that word in your life and and, last week we talked about worship this unique category. God sits in a unique category in our lives. We are not to dispense worship to anything, anyone else but him. And, and we are to do that. We are to engage worshiping him. So when Eric was mentioning that this morning, we, we have come in here. I, I hope you didn't worship this week the same way you worshiped last week. And I hope you won't worship next week the way you worshiped This week, these words need to get larger as we move forward with God. So so just think for a moment, how are you doing with these words so far before I add another one to the list here today? If we're just ignoring them, that is the danger of our times. I got enough going on in my brain, enough on my schedule, and enough coming up on my book, on my my Facebook or something, that I I just don't have room for anything. Well, I I need to make room. These words are going to matter to us. And so I'm going to install another word today uh, that needs to matter to us. And it has to do with the thought, these are, these are underlying words sometimes. They don't sit on the surface. They are, they are the supports of why we do what we do. So you're going to proceed into 2019. You're going to make some decisions. You're going to live a certain way. What's going to motivate you to do that? Right? What's going to motivate you to do stuff that you never thought you could do? That you didn't have faith for. That you thought was impossible. What's going to motivate you to do that? 
What's going to motivate you to even think that this year, you know, being a Christian, any of the stuff that God says to do, what's going to motivate you to think that that can work? You know yourself, right? You've tried a bunch of things before, right? Sometimes didn't work. You live in a world that's not cooperative. It's not easy to do some of these. What, what makes you think you could even be successful in whatever it is that God's got for you this year? Well, this word has everything to do with those elements of, of how we're living our lives. La- last week, I, I used this concept. We're venturing into 2019. We're venturing into a story that God is writing. He is the author of 2019 you and I are characters in the story of 2019 does everybody recognize the difference between the author and the character how many of you guys know that the characters don't get to write their own storyline did you know that you ever read a book and be thinking huh I wonder if he came up with that I wonder if Darth Vader wrote that out that way that's what he wanted he doesn't get to write his own script, right? The author gets to write the script for the characters. And the character doesn't get to venture into the script line and say, you know, I had some really good thoughts here. I'd kind of like to spin off and do my own thing. I'd like my own series. I'd like to kind of like move away from this plot line that's about this stuff. I'd like to be the the starring character and not the support character. You know, no one gets to do that, do they? Only the author has the right to write the storyline for our lives. And what God has done is he has written the storyline that he, he then tells us is discoverable by us. We can discover his revelation of a storyline, and then you and I are called to live in it. So we have a little bit of an obligation here. If we're going to live the life that we're called to in 2019, we're going to have to discover what is the will of God. It's just not an automatic thing in us. And we've looked at this passage a number of times. Romans chapter 12 helps us get this year started well. Verse 1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect right so here's God venturing into this year with us and and he's saying discern what my will is and and then present yourself to me in it so do you understand that both of these things are needed but there is a will out there there's a will that you and I are not going to create it we're going to discover it we're going to discern it that the author has written for us. So beware as you venture into this year. There's a storyline for each one of us, but you are not the author of it. There is one who is the author of it. And second, how do I know that anything of promise, of possibility, in my life is going to take place. How do I know? 
How do I know what's in 2019? And how do I know that anything that supposedly has been written is going to come to pass? Maybe it's just a nice story that'll never happen. Maybe it's a well-intended story by the author that isn't going to take place. How do I know that this can happen? Well, that's where our, our word for the day comes in. The word authority. There is this concept in the created world called authority. And it has everything to do with answering those two questions. If authority does not exist, then I cannot answer those questions very well. But if authority exists, and we know that it does, then that changes everything about how I look at the coming year of my life. Watchman Nee was a Chinese pastor and uh, author in in the early 1900s. And and he wrote a book that I lost in Hurricane Katrina uh, called Spiritual Authority, one of the many books that I no longer have. Um, So I had to go dig up some thoughts that I was remembering from his book. But he says this, The acts of God issue from his throne, and his throne is established on his authority. All things are created through God's authority. Authority is a tremendous thing in the universe. Nothing overshadows it. It is therefore imperative for us who desire to serve God to know the authority of God. It is absolutely necessary for us to meet God's authority and to possess a basic knowledge of what it is. So this is This may be a word that right now you're going, you know, I don't really know that I've studied authority as a topic unto itself in scripture. Well, this is a critical thing. This This is an idea underneath many of the ideas of our life. This is an idea that supports why we believe what we do, why we have faith for what we have faith for. So let's pay careful attention to it. And let me just highlight some things carefully. We live in a time that has either ignored authority or misplaced it severely. So if you're thinking you're going to walk out of here today and all over the place, you're going to see authority clearly and correctly, you are not. Our times have turned authority upside down in a way that previous generations didn't do that. There, There was a semblance of authority for many generations and many civilizations that today is is not functioning in ours. All right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carefully choose an illustration of this. And, and, and I'm not trying to elevate this. And I'm not trying to pick on people in this category. But it, it is a sign of our times. Uh, we live in a day that didn't exist the way it does today. Just 10, 20, 40 years ago. The, the whole debate and discourse on gender today. It is... It is in commercials. It is in the public square. It is in political announcements and presentations. It's just everywhere. I don't want to be careful in, in bringing this up because I, I believe when, when Adam disobeyed God and thrust the world into its fallen condition, everything got touched by the fall. Everything did. With that came a sense of of confusion 
about life. And so human beings that were supposed to live in the revelation of God rather than the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were supposed to get revelation from God. They would have picked life up along the way. And the revelation of God would have made clear, this is what that is and this is what it's for. And they'd have picked this up and and God's revelation would have said, this is what that is and this is what it's for. They'd have lived their whole life that way. So instead... This disconnection from God means man is traveling through life, picking stuff up, going, hmm, what is this? What is this? And, and then you start getting a little bit of, what's everybody else doing with this? Hey, what do you think this is? Right, this is the fallen condition. So a lot of things become confusing. And gender happens to be one that's in the headlines. But how many of you guys know that that confusion about what to do with things happened a long time ago in a lot of categories? You know, murder is confusion about how to handle conflict, isn't it? I'm going to solve this by I'm going to take your life away from you. Uh, Divorce is confusion about how to handle the problems of marriage. It's a fallen world. Your, Your marriage is going to have problems in it. Divorce is a confused moment. It is a moment where I lose sight of what is this all about? And how can it be walked out to fulfill its purpose? Which marriage is to bring glory to God. Gender is that as well. Gender is a matter of something that God created for his storyline. He uniquely stands and says, you know, I'm telling this story about my own glory and my creation. So... Let me make man in my image, male and female. So from the beginning, God, to tell his story, requires male and female. Distinct, not the same, not equal to each other, not supposed to do all the same stuff. And when you are born into this world, your biology will immediately pronounce with its authority, you are a man or you are a woman. Your chromosomes function in an authoritative way. They tell you who you are. Our culture had to first unbolt authority and turn it upside down before it could loosen somebody from what your biology told you you are. Today, that's, that's why this is gaining ground because nobody gets to tell me who I am. Not today. Nobody gets to define for me who I am. That's up to me. And if you start taking on that role, you're bigoted, you're hostile, you're a horrible human being. If you begin to tell me who I'm supposed to be and obligate me to something. Before that's anything, it is a casting off of authority. It is a posture that says nothing gets to, to tell me who I am and what I'm to do. So that's why this issue is here. See, this issue was here in the, in the authority category long before it showed up in the gender conversation. And so these are the kind of ways in which these, these truths of God operate at levels that have an influence on the everyday. Day-to-day life is being influenced by this issue of authority. Now, Psalm 24 helps us to find our way into a very, very basic, maybe obvious thing. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2 says this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Basic rule 
of life. You and I are doing life and we pick life up, pieces of it, the whole thing, however we grab it, things around us, and we look at these things and we go, hmm, what is this? And the Bible turns around and answers this question to that question. It says, well, actually the question is, whose is this? Because if you don't know who it belongs to, then you can't define what it's for because the the owner gets the right to define what it's for. So the Bible turns around and says, hey, this thing that you just picked up called life, this relationship thing you just picked up, this breathing everyday thing, this physical apparatus, you all that stuff you keep picking up, you know what that is? Well, first, whose is it? It is the Lord's. It belongs to him. He made it. Now you have to ask, well, why did he make it and what's he wanted to do? Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says, For by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, the one who created everything, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, right? That's a, that's a declaration of purpose. Everything that exists is God's for his purpose. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So there was nothing here before and then God had the idea to create it all. That makes him unique, doesn't it? He stands outside of his creation. And then he says... The reason why you just don't fall down dead instantly and cease to exist and every molecule look like something from a Marvel movie that just blows away in the distance. The reason why that doesn't happen is because God right now is holding everything together. The second, if he ever decided to turn his back or just say, everything would disintegrate into nothingness. So that gives him unique characteristics amongst why we're here, doesn't it? Because he's maintaining everything. And he's the originator of everything. And listen, human nature bears witness to this. You did this when you were a child and your children do this. And no one taught them to do this. Just let your child have something, toy, whatever. And then let somebody come next and try and take it from them. And their reasoning when they go to fight and kill someone over this is what? I had it first. You ever hear this line of defense? I had it first. So? But that does mean something, doesn't it? Because it has to do with origins. It has to do with ownership. The one who is first has unique claims on things. And children get that. We get that. God gets that. He has unique claims claims on everything I was here first I created that that's mine so everything that exists exists underneath this authority of the creator who made it James Johnson in his commentary on the psalm says God has the right to ask what he wants of you and me because he created us. Since he made us, he owns us. God owns the world and everything in it. Personally, 
You and I belong to God. This is where we start in order to understand how to live in God's world. See, this is such a fundamental issue that we will race right past it, trying to write a script for the life that we want to have without stopping to think, wait, wait, do do I have any ownership rights here to be writing my own script in a world that's not mine to determine how it will respond to me and further the pathway that I want to be on? Is, Is that my right as a creature or does that belong to the creator to have the rights to do that? See, this is an authority issue. The origins of who we are. The ownership of who we are. The authorship of who we are, right? From author we get authority. Because the one writing and creating has a unique place of authority over that which he is creating. And that's true for us. Every one of us. Drawing breath today, that's true of. Now let me just say two quick things here before I jump into some little elements of Jesus demonstrating authority. Consider two things quickly. Consider first, authority is both a mobilizer and a comforter in our lives. It is a mobilizer and it is a comforter in our lives. It's a mobilizer in this way. There may be all kinds of things that you and I are scared to do, uninterested in doing, busy doing other things, etc., that we will never get around to doing. But authority is a mobilizer because if God has authority over our lives, he can step in at any moment and say, go and do this. He has the authority over me to do that. And if I'm living my life in submission to his authority, the next thing I'm going to do is go and do that. That's how authority operates. So it's going to mobilize me. When God comes along and speaks into whatever areas of our lives, you know, I think think of the Great Commission with that big go word in it. That's an authoritative pronouncement from the king, the creator of everything, who looks at our lives and says, this is what I'm doing. I am showing my glory redemptively into my creation. Go and do that. Okay? That's what I'm about. That direction gets to define the life that I'm going. So it's going to mobilize me. Within that, God's calling us to do all kinds of things. God's calling us to jobs. God's calling us to be married. God's calling us to raise kids. God's calling us to do all kinds of stuff. And sometimes we're not sure those kinds of things can happen. And this is where authority is a mobilizer because whether you think it can happen or not, whether you think you like what it's going to look like when you go to do it, isn't the issue. It's just a matter of whether the authority of God has spoken to you. makes life really simple. There's no debate. There's, there, I, I don't, I'm not a franchise that I can pull away from God and just do it on my own. Thanks, God. Appreciate getting me this far. I got this now. He owns everything for eternity. So I never am in that posture. But this is a great comfort as well, because when I go to do things that I don't know if they can really happen or not, I go with the knowledge that the one who has authority over everything has sent me to do that. So he has authority over the outcome, over everybody who will or won't cooperate with me, over all the details that I don't even know how many details there are in this, but he's got authority over it all. That's very comforting to know. But realize this second little consideration as well. Authority is foundational and a life-defining element. 
And one could say this, all that has fallen finds its roots in displaced authority. So this is how important this issue is. If authority gets out of kilter, if it begins to try and function or exist outside of what God said, it creates chaos in God's creation. And that's what we call the fall. Right? Do, do, do you want to see the epicenter of the fall? The, the, the epicenter of the fall, I don't believe, is actually the moment that the apple or whatever the fruit was, was taken by Adam. See, there was something already in the works before that happens. Isaiah prophesies of this being that we know as Satan and addresses and says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars and I will set my throne. That's an authority word, isn't it? I'm going to set up my rulership. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be the one who's in authority. I will sit on the mountain of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is the being who found his way into the garden of Eden with his own agenda. To inflict sin into creation. Where where did he get the idea to do that? Well, he got it when he started writing his own script. That's when he got it. He didn't have a 2019, can't use my illustration on Satan. But at some point, he comes to a moment and he looks into the future and he starts saying, You know, I don't know what God has planned, but I think I'd like my script to be like this. I think I'd like my life to take on this shape, this activity, this form. I think I'd like a promotion. I think I'd like a throne. I think I'd like to call the shots. Now listen, every one of us venture into life. And, and when life doesn't feel the way we wanted it to feel, we, we start kind of poking at God. It's like, well, God, you know, why couldn't you just, you know, kind of how it sounds. God, why couldn't you just this? Why not this this one time? And in those pleas, what we're doing is we're saying, God, you know, I had a script in mind for 2019. And why couldn't you have gone with my script? Why couldn't you have made life go the way I was writing it out to go for me? Can you just take God's deep revelation of all things and just pick up Isaiah 14 and realize this is why God doesn't let his creatures write the script? Because this is the kind of script writing that we do. We dethrone God. We want to create ourselves. We want to have authority. We want to be in control. We want to function in a realm that we're not called to function in. So to please realize what Satan did, you and I do often. God, I'd like to be in charge of the script for 2019. I'd like, I'd like for this to happen, that to happen, this to happen, this way, at this time, etc. Well, that's not a good thing. Authority belongs in one place. And our looking to God uniquely who has the authority, we, we, we need to be inspired to do that. And that's what Jesus does, right? You want to open your Bible because I'm going to walk you through some passages here to Mark, I mean, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 8. 
something's going to get illustrated here that I think is critically important. So we're going to move quickly through a a bunch of stories here because I think they're trying to, one of the things they're trying to do is illustrate one particular thing related to our topic today. I don't know if you've ever wondered, Jesus Christ is God himself come in the form of a man to accomplish redeeming us to God, to bring us back to God through more than anything, the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection. He has got to accomplish that. Before that, he's got to lead a perfect human life that fulfills God's purpose for a human being. No one has yet to do that. No one will ever do that. But he's got to do that so that he can offer his life in our place and redeem us and bring us back to God. How long does that take to do that? You ever wonder that? How long does it take to do that? I mean... Jesus could have come all kinds of ways. could have been dropped out of heaven, but he's born in a manger. Could have turned, I don't know, 20 and said, hey, um, where's the nearest cross? Let me just go ahead and die on that thing and shed my blood and get this thing going here and get reconciliation. But he takes his time and he does some things along the way. And I think one of the things God was doing had to do with authority. Jesus Christ shows up and, and I want to say he flashes his badge of authority. He shows up on the scene of this world. And in all the, you'll see this right here as we run through this real quickly. But when Jesus showed up in the world, everywhere he went, he just proved he had a badge. And he could fling it out at any moment and say, I'm in charge of that. I'm in charge of that. Stop that. Don't do that anymore. Change that. That now becomes this. Right? Now, that, that's, and if you're a policeman or, you know, FBI, you know, you've seen movies and stuff. You know, they, they show up and they pull their badge out. And it's like, all they got to do is show their badge. Right? They don't, ever, they don't sit down and say, this badge represents authority. And, uh, and they just show the badge and everybody knows. Oh, you're in charge. You're in charge. And they start calling the shots. I need everybody out of this area. I need a tape put around this. Right? And nobody goes, who the heck do you think you are? They showed their badge. You know exactly who they are. They've got authority here. Well, Jesus shows up in this setting and he shows his authority badge over and over and over again to show us that he has the authority to do what he says and to call us to do what he says. That word's going to get used quite a bit. It's going to get used five times. The word exousia it's an interesting word. It is both authority. It's a word that references power. And when you kind of put it together, it's the right to action. It's the right to exercise power. So when you see that, that word authority, it's not always translated authority. But that word's going to get used five times in these next few chapters here. Nine times in the book of Matthew. When Matthew closes out his writing in, in Matthew chapter 28, and this sending of God's people on a mission, that sending begins with Jesus saying what? All authority is mine. Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. He doesn't start with go, he starts with authority. Authority is the basis upon which the actions flow out of. And that's what he demonstrates here. Right? So you get to the end of chapter 7, right before we leap into chapter 8. Chapter 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Longest discourse that Jesus has preached at that time. And and this is how the the crowd hears him in verse 28 this way. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. 
Not as the scribes. There was something different about the way he spoke. The sense of command that he had. The way it resonated with them. Remember, Jesus would say things throughout the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, and he'd explain what you've heard said. But I say... Have you ever realized what a giant statement that is? Jesus stands in the face of the culture and says, this is what you guys understand. But I say, right, what, what should the next question be? Who are you? Right. Just another dude with an opinion. But there was something about when he said what he said that the crowd had a witness in itself that was like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Jesus came in and exercised the a right to define the boundaries of life. To say what was right and what was wrong. He didn't throw that out to everybody. Hey, what do y'all think? Well, maybe that's right for you. And Jesus comes in and says, hey, that's right. That's wrong. Oh, all these years you guys have been so focused on the outside things here. Can I just move the epicenter of sin into the human heart and tell you that it's, it's not just the guy who commits adultery, but it's the one who looks upon a woman to lust after her. It's not just the person who kills somebody who's got a problem. It's, it's the person who's angry in their heart in a way that's ungodly. Right? What gave Jesus the right to do this? I'm the creator. I'm, I'm just here to, to clarify some things. And, and, and listen, in some of these categories if you will, are kind of offensive to all of us because, you know, maybe we're not adulterers and maybe we haven't murdered anybody. But you know, Jesus turns around and thrusts his bed and says, do not be anxious for anything. You. Talking to you. You who are thinking about being anxious right now, here's my badge. I'm telling you, do not be anxious about anything. That's in, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. So how many of us feel like that's kind of up to me? If I want to freak out Monday morning, y'all, your job is just to feel sorry for me. My job is to freak out. How many know Jesus shows up and says, stop doing that? Stop it. Well, who are you? Hey, badge, hello. Oh, yeah, the guy with the badge. Okay. All right, so that's, this is what I'm being summoned into, to submit to his authority. All right, now let's rapidly run through some authority demonstrations here. Because I think this is what this section is trying to show us. Jesus has authority over everything. Matthew 8 verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. All right, listen, I, just want you to, I want you to see the authority underneath the thing that you normally see. See, normally you don't see the authority, right? What do you see here? Miracle. Wow. Do you see that? This poor leper. Jesus healed the leper. So we come away with a story about healing. Do you understand? This guy gets it. All it will take is for you to say something and it will happen. This guy saw authority before he saw miracle. If you will, it's totally up to you, Jesus. The future is totally up to you. That's authority. Don't just see the miracle. See the authority in this passage. Look over in chapter 8, verse 5. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came toward him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. 
And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. Why? For I too am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant. Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this. This is not just a guy who's saying, hey, I've heard you can do some tricks. I've heard, I've heard maybe if you show up, something really wild could happen. And then this guy understands you have authority. You have this unique place in this world. You don't even need to touch him. You don't need to show. You just need to decide for it to happen. That's what this guy gets. And of course, Jesus takes authority over that situation and changes that person's health and a miracle of healing takes place. Look down in verse 23. When he came into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. When he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I just want you to see in how many places of God's creation is Jesus going to demonstrate his authority. Right? He's demonstrated it over sickness, the brokenness of humanity. He's demonstrating it over the physical world that he created. It's like those of you guys who are electricians. It's not a mystery why when you walk in the room, you can turn the light off, right? You put that stuff in the wall. There's electricity there. You know how it's governed. You created that. You walk into the room and boom, light goes dumb. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe if you're some aborigine, you've never seen electricity. You look at that and go, wow, the dude made it instantly light. It's amazing. All right, well, for the creator of the universe, this is about what that's like. Storm, blowing wind. This is like a movie set. Cut, and all the fan goes off, and the rain stops, and the, and the fake waves stop, and the boat just all of a sudden settles down. But except the difference is this is reality. And Jesus just speaks to it in an instant. And you understand, those of you guys who remember you used to fish, and there were gnats everywhere because the, the, the water was like glass, and you wish there was a wind. You know what I'm talking about? Two more clunk, clunk, clunk from the waves and glass. Can you imagine in that moment? And they kind of asked the right question. Who are you? <laughs> well, I'm the creator of heaven and earth. <laughs> I, I kind of turn this stuff on and turn it off. I maintain it every day. I maintain all this stuff so I can turn it on and turn it off. It's not a, it's not a big deal to me. But just so that you know, I have authority over everything. Jesus does that. And you fast forward a little bit to chapter 9, verse 1. Getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. 
And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, said, Why do you think it evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It's not just a a demonstration of a healing. As mighty and as wonderful as that would be. And all of us are amazed by that. But what Jesus was revealing is that he has authority to forgive sins. Now, stop for a second. Because these are unique qualities of God. We said last week, worship uniquely belongs to God. Authority uniquely belongs to God. So this is what makes Jesus Christ unique in creation. When you and I go to do life, at some point, we're going to stub our toe, do something intentional, accidental, whatever, that's going to make a mess of our world somehow. And our hearts are going to long to be forgiven. We screwed up something and hurt somebody. And we're dealing with the the guilt and the pain of that. Did you know that there's only one who has the authority to forgive that? Only one. See, as sweet as forgiveness can be to us, forgiveness is nothing if you don't have the authority to pull the trigger on it. I can feel sorry for you. I can feel bad about what you've gone through, what you've done, etc. But I can't forgive you. I can't pronounce you forgiven. Right, if I walk, you'd think that's really weird if I walked up to you and said, hey, look, hey, I realize this happened 15 years ago in your life. I just want you to know I forgive you. You would ask the same question all these other guys are asking. I'm sorry, who are you? <laughs> My forgiveness would mean nothing to you, would it? Nothing. It would not heal anything inside of you. But when this one forgives, it means everything. Because he has the authority to forgive you. Listen, if you're here this morning haunted by your past, by something in your life, things that you've done that have hurt others that you can't seem to shake those things, do you understand this morning Jesus Christ has all authority to forgive you? For you to be able to walk away saying, yeah, I did that, but I'm forgiven And to know it with certainty because he has that. That's an authority issue. No one can give that to you. Because no one has the authority to give it. Except this one. So earlier, I think I skipped over the little section where Jesus cast the demons out. Remember the story about Jesus casting the demons into the pigs? I found it interesting in that story. You know, the... Demons barter with Jesus. Hey, could you do this? Could you, you know, can we work this deal out with you? And they know. They know he has authority. Have you come to torment us before the time? Well, what time is that? That's the time God set up for when he's going to say, done, click, light switch over, boom. Have you come before that time? The same one who has authority over the time, he has the authority to tell them, you're now going to be roommates with pigs. <laughs> Help yourself. And that's where they go. Now, interesting, interesting Jesus says, go to the demons. He also says, go to his disciples, doesn't he? Because he thinks he has the right to tell everybody where to go. (laughs) And he does, doesn't he? 
right? Those demons don't have the right to tell themselves where to go, what to do. You and I don't have the rights. We are creatures. We are created by God for his purpose. Chapter 9, verse 18, while he was saying these things to them, behold, he was, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her. And she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. In verse 23, when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand and the girl arose. And the the report of this went through all that district. Just another demonstration of the authority and where it extends to. Jesus has the authority over death. He can turn death into a nap just like that. Because he has the right to do that. He has the authority to do this. This whole section is about demonstrating Jesus' authority. He shows up in the face of demons. He shows up in the natural world. He shows up in the face of of the need for healing. He shows up in people's lives. Matthew, stop being a tax collector. Come follow me. And he does. He has authority everywhere. And and there's this mission that God is going to send us into. That's going to need us to be aware that he has the authority to make that mission happen. And he brings that up at the end of chapter 9. Verse 35. Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, chapter 10, there is no chapter break here in the original, right? So we just move right into chapter 10. The next thought is, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. It names the 12, verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Where did Jesus get all those references from? He just did all that among them. He just went from one place to another, flashed his badge, flashed his badge, flashed his badge, flashed his badge. And then he says, you know, oh, the harvest is plentiful. There are needs everywhere. Here, take my badge and go out there and do what I've been doing. Now, if you're like the disciples, like I'm sure I would be like the disciples, oh, time out, Jesus. I I don't know if it works that way. I get that you can do this kind of stuff, but I can't do this stuff. And, you know, you got a reputation. Crowds gather. They freak out. When you you, you teach, they go, wow, you should probably listen to that. I'm a fisherman. You know, I got no credentials, got nothing. Uh, They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to respect me. Matter of fact, they're probably going to do harm to me. I don't know if this is a good deal. So a lot of fear floats up in this moment when you get handed a badge and told go out and exercise the authority that I'm giving you but I love what Jesus says if you fast forward here 
verse 26 of chapter 10. Jesus is going to turn to them and say, listen, have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, you say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And listen, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. This is an authority statement. Do you see the authority that's here? There is one out there who has the ultimate say-so over your existence. He's the one you respect and you fear him only. Well, what if somebody comes along and roughs me up? Makes my life not happy. Beats the tar out of me. Notice Jesus didn't say, oh, that's not going to happen. Do you notice he didn't say that? You might want to read that. That's kind of like fine print. He didn't say, hey, hey, no sweat. Listen, there's going to be like this bubble around you and you won't even feel their punches. Uh, No, he says, yeah, they might actually kill a few of you. (laughs) But don't be afraid uh, because there's still an authority over them that's greater that has ultimate say-so over your existence. Go with that mindset. Be aware that there's an ultimate authority that functions over everything created. You remember my badge thing? You remember that? Oh yeah, Jesus, that's right. Remember, Jesus is going to say this again to them when, when at the end of his ministry upon the earth, Matthew 28, he's going to say this again to them. He's going to highlight the fact that he has all authority and he's going to recognize they're going to be afraid to do it and he's going to say, Lo, I, I, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? But I love where he goes next here. Right after he says, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs on your head are all numbered. I love this moment right here. This is taking this giant, sovereign, huge concept of authority and sticking it in the everyday of humanity. You're worried about something happened to you. Hey, did, do, do you know I'm in charge of the birds? You know, the little incident, the ones that you don't even pay attention to. Not a one of them falls to the ground without my authority. Oh, your hairs on your head. Did, did you know that I'm paying attention to the details of your life? This is where I think this, I know the word authority. I, even, I, thought, I was hoping the elders had cheated when they come pray with me before we come in here. Uh, I hope they had cheated and looked towards the end of the notes. Because that word authority sounds like, all right, this morning, whoo, we're going to be in people's face this morning. Authority, yeah. We're calling people back to authority. Probably subwords like repent and obey are underneath that. Uh, yeah, there, there, there's quite a bit of that. But there's an enormous amount of comfort in this word authority. God is going before us with all the power that would ever be needed for his purpose and his will to come to pass. God does not cross his fingers and send us. He has authority. Over everything. And so here's, here's how the Lord just helped me with this. I just, this is 
All right, look in, look in Genesis chapter 24 real quick. Just doing some devotional reading a week or so ago. I don't even know if I was studying authority yet, but this is just a tip for you, helpful tip. Sometimes you're studying some things and you're just reading. You should be doing both, right? We're studying some things. We're getting intense and going in some detail. And we're just reading in other places. So I'm just reading in Genesis 24. And the Lord begins just to awaken my eyes to see his authority function in this story. Right, Genesis 24 is the story of Abraham has gotten old. He has this one son, Isaac, who is not married. And he's concerned. He is a dad concerned for the future of his son and of the lineage that God had promised. So he pulls his most trusted servant aside and he says, listen, you got to promise me, right? In case I die, you got to promise me that you will not take a wife from my son from among the Canaanites, but you will go back to my relatives and you will find a, a wife for him from among them. Promise me you'll do this. And the man, of course, says, yes. Now he's setting out to go back to a place that perhaps he's never been to go find a needle in a haystack. He's going amongst strangers to find a woman who is willing to pick up her whole life and come with a servant that she just met and travel to another part of the world and be married to a stranger. How many of y'all feel like that's an easy task? This sounds easy, right? But God is in it, right? So here's, the, here's the, the details. Verse 12, he stops wisely, right? This is what, what prayer is. Prayer is an appeal to the authority of God. That's what prayer is. He stops and prays in verse 12 and says, Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm, I'm standing by the spring of water. I don't know, he just pulled up with his little caravan and he's just standing by a gas station. <sighs> Convenience store, right? Oh God, what am I doing here? And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. <sighs> let, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink and, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed. Why is this going to happen? Because God has the authority to make it come to pass for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my servant. And then verse 15 says, Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her water jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, word for word, Drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. 
So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and she drew for all his camels. I love this next line. The man gazed at her in silence. (laughs) I just love this. To learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Just a few minutes ago, the guy's like, what the heck am I doing here? I don't know any of these people. I don't know where to go. I don't know who to even talk to. Lord, would you just let some good-looking woman come along? Young, works, you know. And I'm going to say this. You let her say that. And he doesn't even finish praying. And up comes this woman who says exactly what he just prayed. And he just stares at her. (laughs) She had to think, okay, this is getting weird now. He just stood there in silence like, did she just say what I thought she said? (laughs) And then he explains this. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. That the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Right? And long story, he goes and interacts with the relatives, explains the whole situation. Again, what God has done. Verse 50, then Laban, her brother, and Bethuel, her father, answered and says, This thing has come from the Lord. The Lord did this. This is God's doing. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son. What was his name again? Oh, yeah, Isaac. Nice. As the Lord has spoken. Do you get the detail of the authority of God? Listen, you and I look into the future and we go on an errand for God to live in whatever story. This master's servant, his story was to go find a bride. How is this going to happen? How is this going to work out? Well, the same God who has ultimate authority over eternity and over where you and I are going to spend that eternity, he also is involved in the daily details of our lives. The hairs on our heads, his authority extends to the hairs falling out. And in this setting, he's in charge of arranging meetings, of having you show up at just the right time, at just the right well, at just the right point in the day, to say certain words and not other words and to have her respond with certain words and to have a willingness in her heart to cooperate with all this and her family is going to go all along with this and export their daughter to a land that they don't even know of. All the details get worked out. Can you imagine going into this story and thinking this is going to work? Me neither. Until you recognize what? All authority is mine. God can do whatever he chooses to do. This is a precious word, isn't it? I know it's a word that summons us to respond to God in obedience, and that's a good thing. But it's a word that gives me hope about any promise that God has made that in 2019, anything of what he said would come to pass is going to come to pass for me. Why do I know that it will? Because he has all authority. All right, let me conclude a couple of ways today. Eric, you can come back. Let me ask this question here. Because I think it's the word authority is a clarifying word. If I just ask you without preaching this message, what, what is salvation? 
What is salvation? It's a biblical word. What does it mean to be saved? You know, we'd have different nuances of that, right? We'd have rescue. God has come to rescue. And that would be true. God saw my affliction and he stepped into my need and he, he cared for me. And that would be true. So there's many things we might say about salvation and what it is. But if all of creation begins with the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything belongs to the creator. If salvation is anything, it is returning creation to the owner. It is taking the life that I hijacked and began to use it to write my own script for my own purposes, my own way. And coming to a place where I say, Lord, what was I think? This is yours. You have all authority over everything, including me and everything about me. So I think it'd be accurate to say, salvation is a, is a transference of authority. It is a relinquishing of authority to the one who has the right to have authority in our lives. And this, this is so critical. It's foreign to our culture. Our culture is trying to empower you to write your own script, your own way, at your own timing for your own reasons. And what that's turning the church into is a bunch of yang-yang whiners. A lot of what we do is just wine, isn't it? Because God's not doing what we wanted him to do. You know, you might go back and read not the fine print, but the large print. God, God didn't sign on to enter my world. He rescued me into his. Out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Where he is the king and he's the creator. And the very best thing that I could ever do is live under his authority. At peace with him. And on the adventure that he has for me. Let me finish with the watchman Nee thought here. He says, the greatest of God's demands on man is not for him to bear the cross, to serve, make offerings, or deny himself. The greatest demand is for him to obey. That's an authority word. Before we can work for God, we must be overturned by his authority. Our entire relationship with God is regulated by whether or not we have met authority. If we have, then we shall encounter authority everywhere. And being thus restrained by God, we can begin to be used by him. So let me, let me pray for us in two ways. Let me, let me do this first. Maybe you're here this morning and you've got some idea that your life needed God. You, you have come to that place. You've turned to God in some way. I just want to ask you this. When you, when you turn to God from whatever need that you had, whatever recognition that you should turn to him, did you make him owner of it all? Or were you just hiring a consultant? Was Jesus a paramedic who could come on the scene, patch up your wounds, stop the bleeding, but at the end of the day, you still owned you and you were very grateful for the paramedic guy 
who came and helped you out. And maybe you'd like for him to help you again in the future if he's available. Stop and consider. At some point you pick your life up and you go, what is this? And the right question is, no, no, no. Whose is it? Have you taken your life recognizing it's God's? God, this life is yours. I exist for your story about what you are doing in your creation. So I I give you my life back. I give up the ownership rights of my life. I sign on the line here. Here's the deed of my life. I relinquish it to you as the owner of it all. If that's not what salvation was for you, maybe the Lord wanted to lead you right to this moment so at least you can get that clear. And Is that what you'd like to do? Because there's something about giving up ownership that's very freeing, takes the pressure off. Right? How many of you guys know that when the bills start coming, the owner has to pay? Did y'all know that? So when the bills come for your life in the future, and he's the owner... He'll pay for them. The hard part, the things that you lack, the things that you need, owner's got to fix what's broken. But if you're still the owner, your life is very heavy and difficult to manage, isn't it? So maybe what the Lord wanted you to hear this morning is, would, would you be willing, if you haven't done this, to give up the ownership of your life, to entrust him with it? Well, where's he going with it? I'm sure it's going to be good, but I can't tell you the details. I do tell you this, eventually you land in heaven. Along the way you meander through all kinds of experiences. But would you, would you rather land in hell and retain control for a few more days? Is that what you'd rather? I don't think so. So this one, let me just settle this first. And I want to pray for another group of folks that are among us. So let, let's settle this first. Let's bow our heads together. here this morning and, and you just you recognize there are many things that you appreciate knowledge about God but, but you're just not clear on whether coming to God was to seek out new ownership was to return to him that which was rightly his to give up being my own boss and doing life my own way and to come to him and say Lord I think this is yours and I I give it back to you willingly eagerly this is why Jesus Christ came and demonstrated authority this is why he lived a life that demonstrated that he had authority over death He had authority in the resurrection. He had authority to give life to us. He has authority. He has flashed his badge over every aspect of our existence. And what he calls for each of us to do is to give our lives back to him. They're rightfully his. So if you're here this morning and and that's something you want to do, 
You want to be clear that when you walk out of this place today, you are not the owner, but he is. And pray this, pray this with me. Pray it to him. Lord Jesus, you created everything for purposes that you established, you found valuable. You created me for your great purpose. Lord, I recognize in my waywardness, in my own choices, I have lived my life my way. But this morning I recognize, Jesus, you came to bring me back to God, to restore your rightful ownership in my life, to care for my soul here in this world, every hair of my existence, and to ultimately give me life that lasts forever. Jesus, I recognize only you could do that. There's not another being. There's nothing in this creation that can give that to me. So Lord, I I give you my life in exchange for your ownership of me, your promises to me, your future given to me. I entrust myself to you from this day forward. Just keep your head bowed for a moment. I felt like the Lord wanted to minister to parents today. I believe that parents, you may be here feeling the weight of Abraham's experience. You look into the future and you feel a great concern about your children, about what's coming, about how will they what if this happens how does this need get met who will provide who will care who will they marry what will their lives be like Lord what what career will they have and you you're just laboring carrying the concerns for your children I believe the Lord wants to minister in the details of that setting for you your children aren't saved maybe you're greatly concerned about what what how, how does this unfold how does this play out the confusion that i see in their lives the waywardness the unresponsiveness to god what how how does this ever change i believe it's one thing to hear that story. I think the Holy Spirit wants sometimes to bury these things deeper in us. So if you're a parent here this morning who is feeling some of what I just described, could you stand up right where you are? Moms, dads. thank you for who you have revealed yourself to be to us. 
Lord, as parents, there's a whole future. There's, there's not just a 2019. There's the next 10 or 20 or 30 years in our minds. We've got more questions than we have answers, and that's not going to change. We'll always have more questions. Lord, this morning you are reminding us of something that needs to inform our ability to be parents in the days ahead. You are informing us about your authority. You have all authority. So Lord, whatever is awaiting our children, be it in a foreign land, Lord, if we're asking questions about their future, how will they be prepared? How will a pathway get created for them? It looks like there's no path in front of them right now. How will they meet the right person? It just doesn't look like there's anyone that they're connecting with that meets that need. Lord, you are the God who can reach to the other side of the world and find people who are more than willing to cooperate with your plan. That's mind-blowing, God. People that we never would have imagined will become willing to do the very things that they need to do in order for your purpose to get accomplished. God, there are Rebecca's in the future who, at the right moment in the right place, are going to be at the right well, saying the right words. There are Bethuel's, Laban's and family members. There are bosses and hiring professionals who at just the right moment, something in them is going to get in cooperation with your story. Lord, maybe they will or maybe they won't use the same words. It is God's doing, but they will respond to God's doing. They will find themselves offering a job or creating a pathway for our children to walk on. Lord, this word is a shelter for me. Lord, the future is a vast unknown and there's just a lot to be afraid of. And when you hear your disciples being afraid, you remind them about authority. All authority is mine and I am with you. Do not be afraid of the people who make the little decisions in this world. You set your fear and your respect on the one who makes the ultimate decisions in this world. That's who you trust and revere. Because he's watching the hairs on your head and the details of your life. So Lord, we venture in. Parents are venturing in. We venture into 2019. With this word, this vocabulary word traveling with us. Authority. My God has authority. He works powerfully. He has the right to exercise his power in this world. I look to him. I entrust my children to him. Let's stand up together. Eric, lead us in singing. Thank you.
commands all the host of heaven Who else can make every king bow down Who else can whisper and darkness trembles Only a holy God What other beauty What other beauty demands us praises? What other splendor outshines the sun? What other majesty rules with justice? Only a God 
an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God. An awesome God, our God, our God is an awesome God. He reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome There's no one like you. You're the name above all names. Or the one who holds the universe and stars. Or the one who holds my little life, Lord, and my children and my wife and my friends. Lord, you hold it all in your hand, Lord. And we want to grow in our ability and not our ability, Lord, but in our, our desire, in our willingness to submit to your authority, Lord. Lord, help us to grow as a people, to worship you for who you are, Lord. And we, Lord, we, we go out this week, we, we send off out of the service, Lord, and we ask you to, to be this way, Lord, to help us to live in light of your authority this week, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great day.